right, well, good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to the Fellowship Hall. Uh, welcome back to our series entitled Easter People. So again, if you are listening online, probably sounds the same. If you're watching online, once again, we're back here in the Fellowship Hall. We thought last Sunday would be the only one. Had some more setbacks this week. This should be the last week. Check us out next week to see if that's the case. Uh, but we're trusting this is our final week here in the Fellowship Hall. But we are back to our series entitled Easter People. Again, the quote that we've mentioned the last couple of weeks says, We do not live to celebrate the victory once a year. We are Easter people. Every single day is victory again. And so we're not just saying that Easter is a one-day thing that certainly we prepare for and we emphasize and we celebrate, but we live in the victory, the truth of Easter, each and every day. So we're taking a little extra time looking at some of the biblical characters involved with Jesus uh, leading up to the, uh, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, and certainly as Easter people, <clears throat> we're looking at some principles that you and I can follow. So first of all, we took a look at Nicodemus and saw that Jesus welcomes our journey. No matter where you might be, there are people uh, who are seeking after Jesus, people who are just wanting to know a little bit more about him, whether they're seeking, whether they're hopefully seeking to find, Jesus welcomes you and I on our journey. Last time together, we looked at Pilate. The principle is this, choose Jesus over anything. Remember that Pilate, he was weighing all kinds of decisions. What would he do? Ultimately, he set Barabbas free and allowed Jesus to be crucified. But he was hearing from the crowd, from the religious leaders, from his wife. And he had a big decision. The challenge for you and I, choose Jesus over anything. Now, as we take a look at the Word of God, we anticipate a lot of, <coughs> a lot of catches in our throat, some dryness there. We anticipate learning a lot of things from the teachings of Jesus. And in fact, if you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read some red letter editions, you're anticipating you're going to learn something. You're going to grow. You anticipate learning perhaps from the writings of the apostles or the writings of uh, Paul, the epistles of Paul, uh, many of those great works in the New Testament. Understand and know this, the Bible is full of some significant truths from some unexpected people. We're going to explore a couple of those today as we look at some more Easter people. We'll be looking at the thieves on the cross, specifically one who had turned to Jesus. So I invite you to Luke chapter 23. We're going to walk through a, a portion of Scripture and uh, look at what we can learn from that before we ultimately end up in some principles from these thieves. The truth for today is this, it's never too late for God's grace. Maybe you're watching or listening online and you need to hear that today, that it's never too late for the grace of God in your life. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 32 and it reads like this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, meaning Jesus, to be executed. Now, we don't know the names of these people. Is it, is it Bob? Is it Jimmy? Is it John? We don't know the names of who these people are. But suffice it to say, you and I could probably put ourselves up there with them. Doesn't the Word of God say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? 
Now, granted, you and I, we might not be a thief. These were thieves. These were criminals who were placed upon the cross. We might not be a thief, but we have sinned. And we have done wrong. So we don't know who they are, but we could probably look and say, man, if I was there, I, I would be guilty certainly of sin myself. Now the scripture, it's a fulfilled prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, it's a, a big chapter talking about the Messiah, the Savior who was to come. Some of the powerful verses of Scripture from Isaiah 53. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Earlier verses in Isaiah chapter 53. But verse 12 from that chapter says that this Savior, this Messiah, would be numbered with the transgressors. And here we see Jesus on the cross, in between two criminals. Now, in the days of the New Testament, they didn't really need to explain what a crucifixion was. And so here we read that he was led out to be executed. Now, if we hear executed, we might think one thing in modern day times versus the, uh, the crucifixion of biblical days there. But in their culture in that time, they didn't need an explanation. And a commentary would write it like this. Although the Romans did not invent crucifixion, they perfected it as a form of torture and capital punishment. It was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. That's what Jesus was being led to. This combination of the, the whipping, the scourging, the crucifixion, it made death on the cross incredibly brutal. We can read the biblical account and, and get a picture in our mind of all of what that might have looked like. If, if you've seen the movie, though, it's been quite a few years now, The Passion of the Christ. It's, it's gory, it's bloody, it's rated R for the violence. And even then, maybe it didn't quite fully cover everything that Jesus went through. This was what Jesus was being led to. So brutal that our English word excruciating comes from the Roman word meaning out of the cross. So this is where they're leading Jesus Christ to. Verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So a place called the skull or in Aramaic Golgotha in Latin, the term Calvary refers to the appearance of what that hill or mount looked like. It would uh, refer to as a low bald hill on at least one main road entering Jerusalem. It had that look of the skull. In verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let's just stop right there. Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, crucified, and his thought is to forgive others. How many of you, when something bad is happening to you at the hands of somebody else, immediately stops and think, oh, forgive them? We've got some thoughts that go through our head. I would guarantee that's not one of the first hundred. 
Typically, it's going to be revenge. It's, oh, God, get them, or let me do it. <coughs> I'm going to be your agent of, of revenge. And Jesus, his love never fails. He's thinking about those who are doing this. He says, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The rulers were the ones sneering. Making snide remarks. Hey, well, he saved this person. He did this miracle. Let's see what he can do now. Also fulfills a, another prophecy here from Psalm 22, verse 18, where it talks about the fact that they would divide the garments and cast lots for clothing. Yet another prophecy fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. See, kings were offered the finest wine. Jesus was offered the cheapest. It was a total mockery. He was given a mock scepter, a mock royal robe, a mock crown, if you remember the crown of thorns. And they worshipped him by mocking him. Verse 38, it says, there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. This written charge is normally carried before a criminal on the way to execution or sometimes hung around the neck of the person and would then be attached or fixed to the cross, thus reinforcing the deterrent effect of the punishment. Can you imagine? You see this, this placard. You see this sign on the cross and it says, stole cookies. And everybody looking at uh, that individual says, mm, better not steal some cookies. Oh, whatever the case might be, that offense, that crime, uh, whatever they did to deserve this punishment, it's, it's put for everybody to see. Here's what you did. And here's the result of that crime. Here's the result of what you've done. Can you imagine everybody seeing your dirty laundry? We're not talking literal dirty laundry, but everybody seeing the dirty laundry spiritually or physically, the, the stuff that you've done, the, the sins that you've committed. How many of us would like to walk around with a little, little sign you know, on our head or a little necklace and saying, here's all the different sins that we've committed? Kind of embarrassing. And yet here, the thieves were having that. And for Jesus, he said, this is the king of the Jews. Remember, the Jewish leaders, they did not like the fact that it was said king of the Jews. They objected. And yet Pilate answered and remember his phrase, what I have written, I have written. You know, they didn't want that sign to say king of the Jews. They wanted to say he said, he claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate says, no, what I have written, I have written, it stands. So we get to verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now we're reading here in John's Gospel, but in Mark chapter 15 and in Matthew chapter 27, they indicate both criminals mocked 
Jesus. As we continue in our text here, we see that one of them certainly is having a change of heart, sees things differently and begins to put his trust in Jesus in Luke's account here in chapter 23. So in verse 40, we read, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You hold it right there. He says, listen, I'm on the cross. It says, here's what I did. And guess what? I did it. I messed up. I stole. I swiped. I this, I that. We're punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. But this man here, this Jesus, this one who's hanging in the middle, he's not done anything wrong. Verse 42, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So we're going to pause and just kind of take a, a look at a handful of principles we can see from this thief. Apparently, both had responded to him. Both had mocked. But one seemed to have the change of heart. One seemed not to. And three brief truths. Number one is this. You're never too bad to be saved. Never too bad to be saved. The worst sinner, the individual who has done the most amount of things, the most incredibly heinous and terrible amount of things can be saved by the love and the power and the forgiveness of of Jesus. And if you've had your life changed and transformed by Jesus, I would venture to say you're thankful as well. Because you can pause, and though you might look around, and I might look around and say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And we can all probably do that. We look around and say, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. The fact is, we have sinned. And no matter how many things we've done, no matter how bad those things are that we have done, we can be saved by the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. See, when we think about people who surrender and, and turn their hearts to Jesus, you think about a Christian, you think about a, a Jesus person, uh, many times we think about a parent or a grandparent, right? That parent, that grandparent who has loved God and served God for years, for decades. We, we tend to not think about a thief who in his final breaths turns to Jesus and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, when we think about a Jesus person, when we think about someone who represents Jesus, you've got a picture of probably a, a parent grandparent, a pastor, a missionary, a godly friend. But how many of you know not everybody in this world is good and godly like your parent or your grandparent or that pastor or missionary or friend? How many of you have found a handful of punks in your life or some jerks in your life 
some deadbeat or idiot. I, I don't know what kind of words or phrases. Hopefully you don't get uh, a little bit too uh, raunchy there in your description. But we come across some people who aren't the greatest. True? Maybe you work with some kind of interesting individuals. Maybe there's some people at school and they are just so far from Jesus. That's not who you think about when it comes to a Christian person. Our thought typically doesn't go to that person on death row who's about ready to have a life sentence uh, issued, perhaps uh, the death penalty issued for him. The individuals here on the cross, they might have had their photos hanging up in the post office. Right? Maybe you've seen a handful of those or, or splashed across Crime Stoppers. They're, they're put up on the news for all the stuff that they have done. Right now, I would venture to say each and every single one of you can think about somebody you think would never surrender their heart and life to Jesus. There's someone that enters your mind and you say, they are just so far gone. Their heart is so hard. I mean, they are so bad. Their speech is so filthy. The things that they do are so sinful, they could never and would never turn to Jesus Christ. Chances are you've got somebody in mind. Could be some, you know, long lost branch of a family tree, some family member that you're connected to. It could be that one classmate. It could be one of those co-workers. It, it could be somebody down the street. And you think about them and you think there is no way they would ever give their heart and their life to Jesus. Or maybe you think about some of the people in our world. Some of the uh, celebrities, entertainers, politicians, world leaders. And you say, there's just no way, no hope, no chance for them. And yet what we see from the Word of God is you're never too bad to be saved. You think through in Scripture, Saul, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. I mean, we, we tend to like people who are pretty good people. They just need Jesus, right? We might refer to ourselves as that. Well, I'm just a good person, and, and, then, I, and then I found Jesus. And we, we kind of make ourselves feel and uh, make our past seem pretty good. Oh, yeah, but some of these other people, they've, they've got pasts and histories. What about Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts? You talk about somebody who would hunt down, imprison, and put to death Christians. That's who Saul was. And yet God got a hold of his life. There was not enough things that he had done where he was not able to have his life changed and transformed by the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you think you've done too many wrongs, committed too many sins. You've done too many bad or wrong things. Think again. The love of Jesus is there for you. If this man, this thief on the cross, can be saved, how about you? Anyone can. If there's hope for him, there's hope for you. 
If Jesus would reach out to him, Jesus desires to reach out to you. Never too bad to be saved. So I want you to think, there's some people no doubt in your life and maybe you and I, we've written them off. It's someone that you say, they're just so far gone, there's no need to even talk to them about Jesus. I want you to know, Jesus can touch and change and transform their heart and life. Never too bad to be saved. Secondly, know this, it's never too late to be saved. No matter what we've done, we can reach out to Jesus. No matter the time that we have or have left, it's never too late to turn to him. Maybe you've heard people say, well, I'm, I'm just too old and I can't this, I can't that. It's too late for me. You want to talk about late? Talk about this thief on the cross. Literally, in some of his last moments here on earth. Now listen, from the physical level, yes, at some point we do get older and we can't do what we did when we were younger. Anybody figuring that out? I'm figuring that out. 47, almost 48. Got some herniated, slightly herniated discs in my back. I can't do what I did in my 30s and in my 20s and in my high school years. Because when I do, I feel it. Some of the things that require physical activity, uh, I might sneak a little uh, back brace in to try to help give a little bit of support. High school and college, man, I could play basketball and, and tennis and volleyball all day and not feel a thing. Doesn't, doesn't work like that quite anymore. So physically, you and I change. There's, there's things we can't do now that we used to be able to do before. So yeah, physically things change, but spiritually, it's not too late to turn to Jesus Christ. You might have lived a lifetime without Jesus and against Jesus, but it's never too late to turn to Jesus. I don't know what you've all done. Well, let me let me take a look at you. Let me let me let me get some thought. No. It doesn't matter what you and I have done. It doesn't matter how long it is that we've done it. It's never too late for you and I to be saved. This individual was on the cross, crucified next to Jesus Christ, and he turned to him and said, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. As long as there is life and breath in our body, that invitation still stands. It's still good. I mean, time's important, right? Stores open and close based on certain times. And, and certainly as a result of these last couple of years of COVID, you're never quite sure whether they're open or they stay open. I take an autumn to some of her uh, uh, volleyball uh, practices on a Monday night. or uh, So I would drop her off from 7.30 to 9.30 up in North Baltimore. And uh, so it's about 45 minutes away. So it's too far to just come back home and... You just turn around and come back home again. So uh, I go hang out at McDonald's. 
get some Wi-Fi, bring a, bring a computer, get a little something to drink or whatnot. So I get there, I drop her off, get there about 7.30. Her practice is till 9.30. But McDonald's has a sign on their door that the lobby is closed at 8. So I can get in there at 7.30. I can order something, anything I want. I can order a pop, and I can sit there for two hours and keep going back and forth and drink refills. But at 8 o'clock, they lock the door. And it's amazing. Okay, not really amazing. It, it's pretty understandable. How many people will walk up to the door and shake it, and it's locked because it closes at 8 o'clock? Of course, I don't help any matters. I sit right next to the window, inside, with my drink. You know, they pull the door and then they look at me. And they they go around the other side and try that door and look at me. Eight o'clock lobby closes. You've probably found some of that. I went out to eat yesterday after uh, the Synergy Conference and went to a Chipotle. And we, we walk in and we order. We go through the line. There's there's a number of us. And right after we uh, Order, we see them putting this handwritten sign on the door. And it says, we are going online only. They were taking the food, literally taking the food away from the front line, moving it to the side. You could walk inside, get on your phone, place a mobile order and wait for it, but you could not walk through the line and place your order. So timing is important. You've probably, you found a lot of different places who uh, maybe it's drive-through only or maybe it's only open certain hours. Or how many of you, uh, you like sales? You know, something is on sale and so you rush out to the store only to realize it didn't start until tomorrow. Or you, you forgot about it so you rushed out to the store to get it and you realized the sale ended yesterday. Timing's important, right? There's not some coupon with fine print that you and I can't read that talks about Jesus Christ and says, well, you know, only between certain hours, only between certain days of the week, only on a Sunday, only valid here, only valid there. Any time of the day, any day of the week or year, any place you and I have that opportunity, it's never too late. We've got a decision to make. It's that time of decision. It only takes one opportunity to overcome what sometimes is a lifetime of bad decisions or bad choices. Maybe you were one of those individuals. You were making bad choice, bad decision after bad decision at some point earlier in your life. And you made one decision to turn to God, to surrender your heart and your life to Him. That one decision has changed the trajectory and the future of your life. It's never too late. Now, God's sovereign. God allows you and God allows me the choice. God does not force us. And that's, that's difficult because when you and I, when we come to Jesus and we've got that relationship with Him, we want other people to come to Him family and friends, and, and we, we would love to be able to force somebody. Wouldn't you love to, you know, that, that family member, that friend, that coworker, that classmate, if you could just, you know, make the choice for them. 
You're going to give your life to Jesus and love it. When you were a kid and you messed up, maybe you hit your brother or sister, you did something. Didn't mom or dad come up and, you know, say you're sorry? They made you apologize. Anybody ever been forced to apologize? No hands were raised, but a lot of heads were nodding. Okay, I, I get you. you. You're not wanting to incriminate yourself. Sometimes we are made, forced to apologize. We can't be forced to make a decision for Christ, but we've got the time to be able to do it. This thief, he had a change of heart. He called upon Jesus. The other one continued in his mocking. And this thief is literally in his final and dying breaths when he called upon the Lord. And in some cases, maybe you're aware of somebody who literally committed their life to Jesus on a deathbed in those last moments of time. The encouragement is not to wait. Don't wait until it seems like there's hardly any time left Make the choice, make the decision to surrender your heart and life to Jesus today. Tomorrow's not promised to us. No doubt, something that maybe many of us said, maybe many family members or co-workers have said, I got time. I got plenty of time. You and I are not in charge of how much time we have. I want to encourage you, turn to Jesus and surrender to him today. Now, if you are praying for a loved one, if you're praying for friends and praying for family members and praying for coworkers and, and praying for those who are in your school system, receive some hope today. Don't have the thought, don't have the mentality, well, they're just too far gone. There's no way that they would turn their life to Jesus. Never too bad, never too late. Don't get discouraged. Keep praying, keep seeking, keep trusting God. There are many, countless encouragements and, and testimonies of individuals who have prayed. Sometimes they prayed for a spouse or prayed for a child or prayed for a parent, prayed for some other family member, prayed for someone that they knew day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and maybe after a really long period of time, they come and they surrender, and that individual turns their heart to Jesus. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up praying. Don't give up hope. It's not too late to be saved. Finally, it's not too hard to be saved. There's not this list of, of boxes to check and this fine print. I mean, some of you, you know, when we try to redeem a coupon, there's some grocery stores in the area notorious for fine print and it's good for this, but not good for this. You got to read all the fine print to see what you can save your 50 cents or your 75 cents or your dollar on. Here, when it comes to Jesus Christ, salvation is based on God's grace not our works. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says, by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. You and I can't do enough good things to somehow earn our way into heaven. We receive it as a gift. Think about this thief. 
Did this thief have the opportunity to go to church? To read his Bible? To pray? To give it an offering? To, to, to help somebody across the street? He didn't have even the opportunity to do some good works. It was the grace of God. Jesus said, today he'll be with me in paradise. Nothing that he did, nothing that he earned. It was God's grace. Faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You and I, we've got to ask for help. We can't do it ourselves, although it's ingrained in us to want to do things ourselves. Some of our very first words were, I'll do it. I do it myself. Oh, we heard that in our home growing up with our girls. I do it myself. You want to try to help? You want to try to... No, I do it. We want to do it ourselves. We don't want people to help us. Sometimes to this day. But we can't do enough things ourselves to earn our way into heaven. As good as you might be, and I'm looking around, and there's some great, great people in this room. You can't do enough to earn your way to where God says, yeah, you're good enough all by yourself because you're not and I'm not. We can't do it ourselves. Verse 42, the thief said, Jesus, remember me. Hey, certainly can't do this myself. You remember me when you go into your kingdom. Salvation isn't automatic. He, he doesn't just bless it and give it to us without even asking. It's our choice. It's our decision to receive. It's In a sense, it's like a pardon that must be received. Nearly 200 years ago in 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail. He was sentenced to death. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for him, but he refused to accept it. The matter went all the way to Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would in fact have to be executed. He said a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, there is no pardon. The pardon was issued. The piece of paper was given. He could have received it and received life. He chose not to. Therefore, he needed to be executed. You and I, we, as a result of our sin, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. We reach out and ask for help. It's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Nothing that you and I can do of ourselves. We ask for help and then we admit our sin. We've got to confess that we've done wrong. Many times we're aware of some things, but we don't really want to confess our sins. Knowing our need's not enough. The confession there is essential. We, we can get pretty good at rationalizing. We can get pretty good at making excuses. Well, you know, the reason I did this was it's really someone else's fault. It's really this over here. Again, this thief said, we're punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. Man, 
I admit, I've done some stuff. I'm up on the cross justly. I've messed up, he says. You and I have got to confess our sins. God's Word says if we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive it. That's incredible. And we put our, our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus. The thief said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's amazing is here's the thief who sees Jesus at his literal worst. And he's saying, remember me. Crucified on the cross. He's surrendering. He's putting his heart, his life into his hands. This wasn't after some mighty miracle. This was as he's crucified upon the cross. As well, this thief didn't have perhaps all of the advantages maybe many other people did. To have seen him, maybe heard some of the things he preached, maybe seen some of the miracles that he had done. And then he said, Jesus, remember me. You and I turn to him, put our faith in Jesus Christ, and then make that decision. God freely gives us the choice as to where you and I will spend eternity. He doesn't force us to turn to Him. He doesn't force us to surrender, but it is our choice. This thief who is crucified, he heard everything from the crowd to the chief priests to the leaders. Probably heard the other thief that was on the cross, and yet he turned to Jesus, asking Him. Instead of chanting, crucify, he said, Jesus, remember me. Just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity here in person, watching or listening online to reach out to Jesus Christ for salvation. The encouragement is to do it today. Stories told about a famous rabbi and he was walking with some of his disciples when one of them asked, Rabbi, when should a man repent? Maybe you're wondering that. When should I repent? When should I ask Jesus to forgive me? When should I Get right with God. And he calmly replied, you should be sure that you repent on the last day of your life. Well, the, the man heard that and, and some of these students protested and they said, well, we can never be sure which day will be the last day of our life. And the teacher smiled and said, the answer to that problem is very simple. Repent now. Repent today. Make sure that you are right with God. Yes, we can turn to Him at any time, but I want to invite you to do that today. The thief on the cross had the opportunity, turned to Jesus, and took it. Now as we look at this, we say, well, this is, this is an example of a deathbed repentance. True. One commentator wrote this, we have one account of a deathbed repentance in order that no one despair. But we have only one in order that no one may assume. In other words, He will reach out to you, cleanse and forgive you at any time, even if it's at our very last breath. But let's be ready and prepared well before our very last breath. See, it's not because of you and it's not because of me. It's because of God's 
grace. You're never too bad to be saved. Never too late to be saved. It's not too hard to be saved. We can turn to Him. 